You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen and good morning. Please be seated, but only for just one second, all right? When you're down there, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Jude. We have a lot to get through today, so we can't waste any time. Get to the book of Jude, second last book of the Bible, right before Revelation. Pick it up, get it to that page. And then stand up with me as we read God's word. Please, please stand with me as we read God's word. The book of Jude, starting in verse 17, right to the end. It says this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the spirit But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, O God, for your word. Lord, we thank you, O God, that you give us faith. You give us your Holy Spirit. And right now, O God, we ask that you would meet with us. O God, would you teach us your word? O Lord, if you do not show up here today, we meet in vain. God, if you're not here to teach us your word and transform our hearts, we are here for nothing. And so, God, we pray that you would meet with us now, O Lord. We need you so desperately. We are a helpless, helpless people, and we need your grace. So God, show us from your word what you would have for us today. We ask this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take your seats. The point of today's message is this. How are we kept in love? How are we kept in the love of God? You see that phrasing in verse 21. Did you see that? It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And again in verse 24, it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. How are we kept in the love of God? What is being kept in the love of God? I believe Jude here really is talking about the realm, all right, the realm of God's love that we can be within as believers in Jesus Christ as we follow him in obedience, where we receive blessing and joy by being in communion with our Savior. That is the realm of God's love, being kept in this realm of God's love. But we are able, in our disobedience, to step out of that realm of God's love and go to a place that is void of blessing and joy from our God. Jude here isn't primarily really talking about salvation, okay? He's talking about being in the realm of God's love where there is blessing and joy. I think a good place in Scripture to explain this is the prodigal son. The prodigal son was at his father's home receiving the blessing and the joy that is received by being in his father's realm, 
But one day he was enticed by the world. He was enticed by sin. He took his inheritance and he ran outside of his father's love. He ran outside of that place and eventually he spent all his money and he was sleeping and eating with the pigs. And while he was there, he remembered the kindness of his father and he picked up and he ran back home into the realm of his father's love. It's not about salvation. It's not that the father ever stopped loving the son. In fact, he was there waiting for him with open arms. But the son refused to receive the love that the father had for him. Jude clearly lays out for us how wicked our world is. Do you see that in verses 17, 18, and 19? He says, you must remember. You must remember. In other words, don't forget. Don't forget what the apostles have warned us about. Don't ever believe everything you hear. Be discerning. Be smart. Remember that there are people among us, there are people in the world, even in the Christian community, that are scoffers. They're ungodly people. They love worldly pleasures and passions. They're in love with this world and devoid of the Spirit. Do you walk through the Christian life with your guard down? Do you think everything is just fine? Are you ignorant to the truth of what the apostles have warned us about? Don't be surprised that there are people out there that are liars, selfish, adulterous, greedy, and even using God's word to fill their own pockets. These people exist. We saw this recently very close to home, just in Pennsylvania, in the Catholic Church, didn't we? 1,000 young children sexually abused. 300 priests involved. Disgusting, worldly, devoid of the Spirit, not being kept within the love of God. We should remember that the apostles said that this would happen. But it can be even closer to home, can it? And I'm sure in a room like this, there's lots of people who have walked through different times of their lives where people around them who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior have been outside of the love of God, have been pursuing this world and living in the passions and the pleasures of this world. Maybe someone you know, maybe a family member, maybe even a Christian leader who has failed morally. Listen, listen. And this is the important thing, what Jude is saying here, okay? Jude is saying, look at the world, look what's going on, don't forget. But what he's saying is, none of us are above it. None of us are better than any of those people. All of us, all of us here today are capable of those things. When sin is allowed to reign in our lives, it will lead us to destruction. When we ignore the Holy Spirit and follow the passions of this world, our flesh will lead us down the path that Satan has for us to death. Every single time. If we are superficial in our understanding of Scripture... If our belief in God does not line up with the truths of Scripture, we are destined to fall. You see, a lingering eye becomes lust. Lust, unchecked, unconfessed, becomes adultery of the heart. Adultery of the heart, unconfessed, unchecked, becomes pursuing a relationship outside of your marriage. Sin always leads to death. You change your heart's desire from worshiping the God of the Bible to worshiping sex and physical pleasure. How do I know this is true? Because the Bible tells us it's true. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you allow sin to foster and to grow in your life, it will lead you down a path that leads to death. The love of things, unchecked, becomes discontentment. Unchecked becomes greed. Unchecked becomes covetousness. Unchecked becomes thievery. Unchecked, you begin to walk away from the blessing and the joy that you found in Jesus Christ, and you begin to embrace the passions and the possessions of this world. We live in a sinful world with sinful people, with a real enemy who wants us to embrace this world and lead us to be destroyed. So here's the big question. How then are we kept in the love of God? How are we kept in the love of God? How do we, how do I, who is so prone to wander in my own heart, be kept in the love of God? How do we look at this world and the pleasures and the passions and the possessions of this world and say, no, I receive so much more joy from Jesus Christ, my Savior? Well, here's the simple answer. Here's the Sunday school answer, all right? God, through Jesus Christ, will keep you in the love of God. Jude emphatically tells us this. Does he not tell us this in verse 24? He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It is God who is able to keep us. It is God through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that enables us to be kept within the love of God. Without him we have nothing. It is he who keeps us. It is God who holds us up. It is he who gives us everything necessary to live a life that follows godly passions, that joins together in unity with his spirit, not worldly, but instead filled with the Holy Spirit. This is who keeps us. This is how we are kept. But how does God accomplish this? This is where it gets really practical for us. How does God do this? He is able to do it because Jesus has all the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. That's what it says in verse 25. And so he gives us gifts. He gives us what we need so that we can be kept in the love of God. So that we can be kept from becoming the people in verses 17, 18, and 19. What does this look like? What is our role? What do we do now with this great gift that God has given us? And that leads us to our four points for today. Jude gives us four instructions of how we are kept in the love of God. In verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And right before that, he gives us two instructions. And right after that, he gives us two instructions. So let's go through these four things that Jude has told us, how we can be kept in the love of God because we need it so much. The first thing is this. God keeps me in his love by giving me a holy faith. Build. So build. Look at the text, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Jude says, look at what the world is doing. Look at what the apostles have warned us about. Don't forget it. Look around you. It's there. But you, oh you, beloved, oh you who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, oh you who God did not spare his own son for, you who are so loved by God, you, this is what you are to do. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Just consider for a moment the gift of faith the Lord has given you. It's amazing. It's remarkable. It's incredible. The text here says that it is a most holy faith. Notice, notice here that the text doesn't say 
build up your faith. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, you just need to have more faith. Build up your faith. Get stronger faith. That's not what it says at all. It says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. You see, the faith isn't what, where the problem lies. God has given it to you. God has given you a most holy faith. Your faith is secure. Your faith is perfect. Your faith is holy. But we need to be built up in it. And since our faith is already perfect, since our faith is already holy, we really have no excuse as to why we can't get closer to our Savior Jesus Christ, becoming more like him each day. We just need to open ourselves up to that faith, allow it to change us, allow it to build us up, allow our hearts to be molded into the image of Christ. This is what we must do. God has done the work to grant us a holy faith. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? The faith is the same. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take a hold of this faith and be built up? Honestly, though, watch out for the person, and I pray there's many of these people in this room, watch out for the person who takes a hold of their holy faith and is being built up in it. Watch out, because that person will be mightily used by God. That person will bear holy spirit fruit that is multiplied five, ten, one hundred times and folded. When you are built up in your most holy faith, you know what you are to do. When you're being built up in your most holy faith, it's easy for you to come across a situation and say, will this glorify God or just glorify me? You're able to discern. You're able to see. You see, the person who builds himself up in the holy faith is building their house on a rock, not sand. That person who is building themselves up in the holy faith is planted by streams of living water. That person is like new wineskins that will not burst. They are secured in the knowledge of God. The person who is building themselves up in the holy faith is constantly putting on the armor of God. And the enemy is trying to tear them down and they say, Not today, Satan. I'm building myself up in my most holy faith. The enemy can't penetrate or kill any joy because my joy is so fundamentally planted in the holy faith that is given to me by God, the unchanging one who gave this to me. Are you here today, though, and you've believed the lie of the world? Have you, instead of building yourself up in your holy faith that has been given to you, you've run away, you've left this realm of love, and you've become a scoffer? a lover of the pleasures of this world, a lover of money. Honestly, if that's you today, I can only ask for one thing, is that your sin right now would be crushing you. It's the kindest thing I can say to you, is that your sin right now would crush you to the point where you realize that you're eating with pigs, and you turn around and you look and you see the kindness of your father and it leads you to repentance. He's there waiting with open arms, just like the prodigal son, asking you, begging you, come home. I'm here waiting. I'm here waiting to embrace you so that you may be built up in your holy faith as well. The prodigal son came home and his father came running to him with open arms. So true is with our God. Grow in the confidence of his sovereignty and that he loves you.
The answer to all our points today is really in verse 25. All of this is possible, the, the security of our holy faith because of verse 25. Do you see that? In verse 25, it says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. You see, Jesus Christ is in control of everything. He owns everything. Everything is under his dominion, and he is able to give you a most holy faith that you can be built up in. Will you be built up in that holy faith? The second instruction that Jude gives us is this. We see that God gives me, he keeps me in his love by giving me his Holy Spirit. So pray. Pray. God keeps me in his love by giving me his Holy Spirit. Pray. Pray. The second part of verse 20 says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. God keeps us in his love by giving us his Holy Spirit. Just like the faith he has given us, the Holy Spirit has given to us. The Holy Spirit seals our faith. He bears fruit in us. He teaches us and he helps us to pray. So we need to live our life in the Spirit if we want to be kept in the love of God. Allow your mind to be set on the Spirit. Romans 8, 5 to 8 explains this thought so well and expands it really well. It says this in Romans 8, 5 to 8. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see? You see? To be kept in God's love, to be kept in the realm of God's love, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We need to allow Him to show us what we are to do. We are to pray in the Spirit of God. Seek the will of God, not our own will. Seek what God would have for our lives, not what we think is necessarily best. You see, the reality is, for the believer in Jesus Christ, right now, if you are in this room, right now, you have incomparable power available to you. Do you know that? Incomparable power. Power that cannot be seen anywhere else when you pray in the Holy Spirit. Again, God has all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. He is able to do all things. And he always does the best thing we learn in Romans 8 for those who are called according to his purposes. God is waiting and wanting for us to come to him helplessly, needing him, in prayer and admitting to him that we need him to do the work. We can present our needs to him and we can know and have the confidence that he is going to take that need and do what is best every single time. You see, the tendency is for us to look elsewhere for power. I know that's a tendency in my heart. We often think, oh, well, if I can just, you know, climb this ladder in work and have people under me, I will have power. If, if I could just accumulate this much money, I would have power. If I could just have these kind of relationships, then I would have a, a security in life and a power in life, and I would be unstoppable in life. We think that, oh, if, if I just work harder, if I do these things, I can produce fruit in my life. How foolish. 
How foolish that we would think that we can produce any fruit that is honorable to God within ourselves. How foolish is that? A believer trying to produce fruit, godly fruit in their lives without the power of the Holy Spirit is comparable to a crane operator. You know these, you know these cranes downtown? There's like a hundred of them, right? It's like one of those crane operators from his tower looking down at the 10-ton beam, stepping out of his crane, climbing down, getting in a good position, knees bent, and trying to lift that 10-ton beam up to the 30th floor. Silly. It's absolutely ridiculous. No one's looking at that crane operator going, well, that guy has courage. That guy is bold. Wow, to really do it on his own, you know? Like, well, good for him, right? Kudos, buddy. No. You'd look at him and you'd be like, are you an idiot? Right? Buddy, you got a crane sitting right next to you. You know how to operate it. Why would you try to lift this thing on your own? It's insanity. There's no, there's no acclamation deserved there. This is crazy. Yet so many Christians are trying so hard to produce fruit in their life, and they just sit outside the crane struggling. When what they can do is climb into that place that God has given them, turn on the Holy Spirit power that has been granted to them, and see with great ease the most impossible things be accomplished in their life. Jude is saying here, beloved, Beloved, do you really really think that you're able to stay away from becoming a scoffer within yourself? Do, do, Do you really think that you're able to keep yourself from the passions and the pleasures of this world within yourself? If you don't allow the Spirit of God to lift you and carry you, you have no chance. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? You pray in the Holy Spirit that he would keep you, that he would show you. Notice Jude's critique of those people the apostles predicted would come. He says in verse 18 that these people are devoid of the Spirit. Is there a harsher thing that could be said? Like, really just think about that? Is it, maybe there is, I don't know, but is there something harsher that could be said to you as a believer in Jesus Christ if, if someone knew you well and they, they said, hey, I've been observing your life and I just want to say you're devoid of the Spirit. Ouch. That's devastating. It's devastating that you have no fruit in your life that is evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit. What does that say? It says you're not being kept in the love of God. It means you're not living a life in obedience. It means you're not pursuing the things of God. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. But even praying is difficult, isn't it? Even praying is too hard for us. And sometimes we run because we think it's so hard. Something that seems so easy, right? All you got to do is kind of open your mouth and talk. Yet, at the same time, it seems to be the hardest thing for us ever to actually accomplish. Christians running away from the power that is available to them. This is why the prayer meeting in the church is the least attended event. Because we don't believe and the power that is available in the Holy Spirit to do amazing and incredible things in our church. But God knows that praying is even too much for us. So in Romans 8, 26, he says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You see that? We need, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray to the Holy Spirit to keep us in the love of God. And at the same time, he's like, you don't even know how to pray. The Spirit will help you in your prayer. The Spirit will help us. God knows that we need the help, and he delivers. He gives us the Holy Spirit and keeps us in the love of God, but we must pray. We must pray in the Holy Spirit and use the gift that God has provided to keep us in his realm of love. In verse 21, Jude continues, and he says, keep yourself in the love of God. And as I said, he said, keep yourself in the love of God. He's given us two instructions already, and then he's about to go into another two instructions for us. And the third one is this, God keeps me in his love by giving me eternal life. So wait, wait. Look at the text. It says, keep yourself in the love of God, verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life leads to eternal life. God has given you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, eternal life. It is a result of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with this gift, we are to wait. We are to wait. Waiting gives hope in the things that are true. Do you know that? When we dwell on the truth of the mercy we have received and the mercy we will receive one day, it allows us to look at this world and absolutely reject it. When we know and we're waiting in the Holy Spirit and we're waiting for the eternal bliss that is before us that will come and we hold near to that and we wait for it eagerly, we're able to say all of the pleasures of this world, everything that is outside of God's love, I can reject it. Because we're waiting for that day. We're waiting for that day that Christ will come and welcome us into his kingdom. We wait, we hope, and God keeps us in his love. We don't wander away from perfection when we can see it, when we set our minds on it. Waiting also helps mature the believer in Jesus Christ. I think this is pretty obvious, but God has an inheritance for us as the believer, and as we wait for that eternal paradise, we wait for that day when there will be no sin, no pain, no enemies, we wait for that, and we learn, and we're sanctified, and we grow. And God brings us through challenges, but we wait, and we are matured. The question, though, is, and I think this is a common question, a question in my heart often, is why is this? Why must we wait? God, why, like, why don't you just come right now? Right? Why don't you come back and just take us up into your presence? Why can't we just have eternal bliss with you now? Why must we wait? And this world is so messed up. Come down, make all things new. Wipe away every tear. Take away all my pain and suffering right now. Why must we wait? There's a few reasons, I think, that are good reasons why we wait. The first one is this. There are still more people that Christ is seeking to save. See, aren't you, aren't you so thankful that Christ didn't come back before he saved you? And now he is still looking and searching for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's seeking to save. You're already guaranteed in your hope. He hopes to save more. And the second point really leads off of that is that there's more work for us to do while we're on this earth. There's more work. We need to be the hands and the feet of the gospel and bring it to those who need to hear it. And this is what pushes us in mission, doesn't it? I think the first or the third point is uh, 
The most important one, though, however, and this is hard, this is hard, um, but it's true. You see, as we wait and as we go through pain and struggle and heartbreak and sin, as we go through all of that and we say, but Christ is enough, Christ gets all the glory. You see that? As we wait, Christ receives more glory as he finds a faithful church. You see, this doesn't come without waiting. Our waiting brings maturity and worship, but it brings glory to Jesus Christ. This is hard for us sometimes to hear, especially when we're going through something that's so difficult. Um, but it's also hard for us to understand why God would have us go through this. But let me explain it in this way. Everyone likes a good love story, right? Everyone likes a good love story. That's why we go to the movies. Well, there's this ancient Greek love story. Um, and maybe you don't go see this one in the theater as much. Um, but I think it explains this concept well of waiting. It's about King Odysseus and Queen Penelope. And I'm sure that even all the women here might say, aww, after the story. It's, it's quite a nice little story. King Odysseus um, is the king of Ithaca. It's an island state. And, uh, and he has to leave for war. So he leaves his island for war, and he leaves behind his wife, Queen Penelope, and their young son, a young bride and his young son. He leaves for war. And you could imagine that this is hard for Penelope, but I'm sure she's assumed the responsibilities of queen and knows that this will happen. But every day, uh, she waits for her husband to return. She goes down to the beach, you could imagine, and she waits and she waits and sees if he'll come back. Day after day, no Odysseus. Next day, no Odysseus. Days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, no Odysseus. Doesn't return. After some time, you can imagine in her mind, she starts to think, you know, is, is Odysseus alive? Is he, is he dead? Did he die in war? Is he ever actually coming home? Is he too far from home that he can't return? Did he get lost on the way? And other people start to take notice of this as well. And, and so they start approaching Queen Penelope and they say to her, you know, you should remarry. You should remarry. We need a king. Um, and, and really their intent was just to get the riches of the kingdom. But the surrounding countries and states start sending in their princes and sending in suitors. And one after another, they say, how about me? How about me? You know, Odysseus is dead. Odysseus is dead. Come, marry me. I could be the suitor for you. And there's 108 different suitors that come knocking on her door. And years go by and years go by. And they're like, haven't, why haven't you chosen yet? Choose one of us to be your husband. And they camp outside of her castle and they're constantly jeering her, constantly, why, why? Pick one of us. Come on, who are you going to pick? Five years pass, 10 years pass, 20 years pass. But she says no. She doesn't give in to any of them. She waits for her Odysseus. And after 20 years, she goes down to the beach, as she always does. And she sees a man walking up towards her. And he says he's Odysseus, and she doesn't believe it until he calls her by name, and he says things to her that only she would know, and then she's sure after 20 years that her Odysseus has returned, and she's filled with joy. Now, that's a nice love story, isn't it? That's a lovely little story, and I guess the moral of that story is true love waits, right? 
That could be the moral of that story. Nothing wrong with it. Very good. But the reason why that story is such a beautiful story is because Penelope waited faithfully. That's what makes the story so beautiful. What makes the story even more beautiful is that it wasn't just one day. It wasn't just one week. It wasn't just a month. It wasn't just a year. Not 10 years, but 20 years of difficulty and struggle and temptation. Yet she held faithful to her husband, Odysseus. You see, the longer we wait faithfully for our Savior, the greater the love story is. The greater the glory that Jesus Christ will receive as he comes to meet his faithful bride, the church. This keeps us in the love of God. As we strive forward for his glory, as we wait for him, for his mercy, and we glorify him, we walk in the spirit and we are kept in the love of God. Jude continues in his instruction and he leaves us with one more. And here's our fourth point. God keeps me in his love by giving me a heart like Christ. Show mercy. God keeps me in his love by giving me a heart like Christ. Show mercy. Let's look at the final instruction, verses 22 and 23. It says this. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. See, in verse 21, we saw that Christ is full of mercy, right? And that's why we have eternal life. And now we are to wait for that mercy. And while we wait, we are to be like our Savior and become merciful. God has given you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a heart like Jesus Christ. As we exercise this muscle... We become more merciful. We are kept in the love of God. God is calling us to look outward to others. Since we are secure in our most holy faith, since we are praying in the Holy Spirit, since we are waiting on that mercy for eternal life, now we are to show mercy to others and help them keep and maintain within the love of God. We surely do become our brother's keeper. Jude here speaks of three different groups of people. Did you catch that in the text? In 22 and 23. First, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Okay, so that's one group of people, the doubters. Second, save others from the fire. And third, show others mercy with fear while hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So let's take these three groups of people one at a time, all right? The first one, have mercy on those who doubt. This is a compassionate mercy, a sympathetic mercy. People within the body of Christ, who are sincerely struggling in their sin. They know they're sinful. They're struggling in their sin. Maybe they're even doubting God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, maybe even their salvation. We've all maybe been here in this place before. They're struggling, but they recognize their sin and they hate their sin. And they want to be removed from their sin. And we are called to show love and mercy to them, to love our weaker brethren and show mercy to them, restoring them in love and mercy. See, this requires wisdom. Is this person really struggling in their sin? Do they hate their sin? Or are they coming with a hard, stubborn, and maliced heart? 
Do they recognize their sin and hate it? We show sympathetic love and mercy to the one who's struggling and wanting to change. See, the person here is already feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit and is crushed by their sin. Praise God for that. And they're wanting to turn to their father. And the last thing they need is you to come up and just punch them in the face, right? They need you to put your arm around them and love them and encourage them and keep them accountable and pray for them. How can I help you, brother in Christ and sister in Christ? Come closer to the gospel sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ again and reminding them of their salvation. That is what we're called to do. Second, it says, save others by snatching them from the fire. See, this here, this is mercy, but with a little bit of boldness, right? This is mercy with boldness, right? Um, Some people at times in their lives need a little bit of a smack upside the head, right? That was me quite a few times, still do, right? It's a merciful smack, but it's a smack, And sometimes we need to deliver um, the right hand of fellowship to some people as they're walking in their sin. They're they're walking or they're driving their life and they don't even see it and they're about to drive right off a cliff. And the most unloving thing that you could do to them is just be like, hey, I see that. Yeah, that's good. Whenever you're ready to talk, let's have a chat. And then meanwhile, they just drive their life off a cliff and outside of the love of God. No, what you do when you see someone who's about to kill themselves, about to be led down a destruction, a destructional path, what do you do? You yell, stop, stop, don't go there, this is dangerous. Don't, don't uh, run away from God's love, be kept in the love of God, pray in the Holy Spirit. Don't you see the sin that you're committing? Don't you see the danger that is here? You warn them. And sometimes we've got to step up and be a little bit of an Old Testament prophet to our friends. And that's okay. Speak truth and love and boldness at times. If you saw a child running into the road with oncoming traffic, you wouldn't be like, hey, buddy, you know, whenever you're good and ready, let's have a talk, right? You'd be like, no, get over here. You know, snatch them away from the oncoming traffic, of course. Why? Because you love the child. You want to save the child, and that is showing mercy to the child. Sometimes we need to be quite bold in our mercy. The third point is showing mercy to others with fear and hating the garment stained by the flesh. So here we are to show mercy with fear. We show mercy to the person, and we hate with everything we have the sin that they're associated with. I think there are a few ways we can look at this, and I want to apply it three different ways. This is really important. First, we need to be fearful because we are dealing with someone who is so okay with their sin, who is justifying their sin, and they want you to be involved in their sin. And so when you approach them, they're a brother or sister in Christ, and they're like, hey man, no, you know what, my sin is totally justified. They've gone through the word of God and they've tried to even justify their sin. And they're like, you should do the same as me. And we gotta, we gotta show mercy, but with fear, fear that we too could stumble. A couple examples here, and, and often we fall into this quite easily, and so we must be fearful. A lot of people here dating, maybe, the 11 o'clock, a lot of young people sleep in and come to the 11, that's okay, right? And maybe you're dating, all right, and, and maybe the person you're seeing isn't taking their purity as seriously as they should be, and, they, and they've justified it a little bit, and they say, you know what, no, come, and they're trying to entice you in to that sin, and instead of telling them no, which is the loving thing to do, and loving them and hating the sin, you give in to the sin and you end up hating the person because you're leading them in the path of destruction. But I can't just pick on the young people here, right? It's not just a young person issue. What about middle-aged and older individuals in our church? Um, 
And maybe you're, maybe you're single, dealing with the same kind of thing. And, and maybe you've been married before, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed. Maybe you've just always been single. Um, but you're starting this new relationship. And I can just imagine a couple, and I've seen this a few times, you, you know, you both already have kids. And, um, and you're like, you know, my life's already established and all. And you start to justify all these things. And, and then you say, you know what, we should, it just makes sense. You should sell your house. You should move in with me. And, 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 and that just makes a lot of financial sense. And that's what we should do. And, and you know what, marriage and engagement, like that's just a young person's game. I've been down there. I've done that thing. I mean, I don't need to do it again. Like, like we're, we're okay. We're secure. We're good. We're married in God's eyes. Have you heard that before? We're married in God's eyes. Are you? Are you? No. No, you're not. Not at all. Not even a little bit are you married in the eyes of God. And in fact, as you, as you allow that person, if, you, if someone's saying that to you and they're, and they're saying, hey, uh, hey, you know what, why don't we just do this? And, and you say, yeah, you know what, that makes sense. We can justify this in scripture somehow if we twist it enough. And, 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 and I'll, we'll live together and sleep together and all that's just dandy. You've loved the sin and you've hated the person because you've led them to a path of destruction. The text warns us, hate even the garment that is stained by the flesh. That's how much we need to hate sin. That's how much we need to fear our, our, our desire would be for that sin. We need to fear it so much and hate it so much. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not have his clothes burned? Right? Hey, you know what? I'll just pick. I'm not going to do anything with the fire, but I'm just going to hold it real close here. There's no problem. No problem. He's like, do you think you can do that and not burn your clothes? There's no chance. There's no chance. And as you flirt with sin, as you, as you get closer to sin, as you buddy up with sin, and well, you don't hate the garments that are even stained by the flesh, you will are, and you are more likely to fall. The second way we can apply this text is in the view of the person you're dealing with that you're called to have mercy for is sinning against you personally. Uh, this makes it a little bit more tricky, right? They're in sin, and their sin is directly against you. How do you show them mercy? Often our first reaction is, you know, maybe we're hurting. Maybe we're going through something in life that's just a circumstance. Who knows? It's just a terrible situation, and you're hurting, and you're down. And someone says something to you, and it's mean. And our first reaction is, um, how dare they say something that would hurt my feelings? I'm going to tell everyone how people should respond and how people should act. Why? So that my feelings aren't hurt next time I'm going through something so terrible. Now, I'm not excusing the sin. I'm not excusing your pain that you might be going through. But have you showed mercy to that person? Have you loved them more than you've loved yourself? Is your greatest concern for their reconciliation? Is your greatest concern that they would be kept in the love of God? It's easy to point this out, and it's so much different just to live it. Because our emotions get in the way. We feel entitled. We feel like everyone should be saying the words that we want to hear. But are you showing mercy? And are you hating the sin? The third way we can apply this mercy um, is when the person you're dealing with maybe doesn't sin necessarily against you, but the, they sin and they love their sin, they've justified their sin, and you love that person so much that it crushes you. I think every parent can relate to something like this. This week I was talking to someone about um, this topic, and I was like, you know what, that's it's just so true. Could you imagine, you, you love your kids so much, um, 
You've, you've spent your whole life raising them and you're trying to show them God's word and then one day, maybe as a late teenager, they tell you, I'm a homosexual and I think that it's okay. What do you do? What do you do? I think people react often in, in two, two ways to this kind of situation. Some people embrace their child as they should they love their child so much, and they say, I'm always here for you. I love you. You're my son, nothing, or my daughter. That'll never change. And then they start to think, they're like, well, but his love is real. How can I, I, I see it. I, I can't deny it. And then, and then you start turning through the pages of the Bible, and you start trying to justify, and you, and you change your theology, and you change your doctrine. You say, how could, how could God ever not love my son? Or how could, how could uh, my son not be within the love of God? I know him. And you've decided to sure show mercy, but you've also decided to love the sin. Other people, they hold fast to the word of God. Good. They know the truths of God's word and the truth of God's law. And they look at that situation. They look at that sin. And, and they say, that is, that is evil. God condemns that. I, I can't support it in any way. But in the meantime, not only have they hated the garment that is stained by the flesh, they also start to hate their own child. And they cast them out. And they show no mercy. And they show no love. And they put conditions on their love. See, both of these positions are antithetical to the gospel. Both of these positions are completely and utterly incorrect according to Scripture. You are to love with everything you have and show so much mercy to the person. I am always here for you. You can always come home. I will love you and pray for you every day. There's always a meal waiting for you at the table. I will love you, but I hate your sin. And I will not excuse your sin. God's word tells us that that is sin and I cannot condone it but I'm always here for you, and I will love you. You see, in that moment, as you have that conversation, you're showcasing the gospel in the most practical way in your life. That is the gospel on display in your life. That is what Jesus Christ did. Right? <laughs> Jesus Christ, right, comes to this earth, lives a perfect life, never sins, never deserves anything ever bad to happen to him. He's betrayed, he's lied to, he's tried falsely. They put a crown of thorns on his head, they mock him, they beat him for something he never did. They drive nails through his arms into a cross and leave him to hang and bleed and die. And as he is there dying, bleeding blood for your salvation, people spit on him and mock him. And they say to him, if you truly are the son of God, then save yourself and come down. And what is Jesus' response? What's his response? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's amazing. Did, did Jesus ever for one minute excuse their sin? No. He said they don't know what they're doing. It is sinful. But Father, forgive them. 
Jesus was so desperately wanting them to repent of their sins and to run to the Father. God, would you forgive them? Would they find joy and peace and be kept in the love of God? Because right now they're sleeping and eating with the pigs. But oh God, would your kindness lead them to repentance? Would they see the errors of their way? And would they trust in me? That is mercy. And we have the opportunity as we show mercy to have the gospel on display in our lives. How can we, who have received so much mercy, who have spat in the face of God and been saved, not turn around and show mercy and love to others? Do you believe this? Are you right now being kept in the love of God? Are you building yourself up in the most holy faith that has been given to you? Are you praying in the Holy Spirit who has been given to you? Are you waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life? Are you showing mercy because God has given you a heart like Christ? I pray that you are. And if you're not, if you're not, the Father's arms are open. He's calling you home. Turn away from the destruction and the path that leads to death and come back home to the Father, to Jesus Christ, who is there with open arms saying, please, let me show you how you can be built up in your most holy faith. Let me show you how you can pray with power in the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what it is to wait to make sure that your Savior is most glorified. And let me show you how you can live this life with the gospel on display. I pray that you are. I pray that you are. Let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy for us, oh God. Lord, you are so kind to us, God. And there's nothing that we can do that would separate us from your love, oh God. But so often, oh Lord, by our own choice, we run away from the blessing and the mercy and the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, forgive us. Draw us in, O God. Draw us closer to your heart. Let us see your love, O Lord, and let us see who our king is so that we can look at the pleasures and the passions of this world and reject them outright. O Lord, there is nothing better than glorifying our king. There is nothing that will give us more joy than seeing your name lifted high. O Lord, so we ask with the Holy Spirit, show us more of who you are. O Lord, apply your word to our hearts. Change us, O God. We need it so desperately. We ask this all in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.